All right, we have some ushers here at the front that have our handouts. If you did not receive this morning's handout, raise your hand as they come by your row. We want to make sure you have it. You are going to want to have this to be able to share with friends. Now, I believe just about every passage that we're going to be studying, I have printed out on this handout. Um, But you're still welcome to open your Bibles and use your Bibles as we're going through. Obviously, this is an extensive handout. Uh, So we are working a way to get these actually posted with the sermon online so people can have those. And uh, so I appreciate you staying plugged in for this series Anytime we give this much time to a topic, it's because um, it's an important subject. There may not be, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, which of course we will cover today, um, other than the gospel of Jesus Christ, I don't know that there's a greater uh, question to answer in our time than why, why is there suffering? The title of today's message is, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? How many of you have heard that question asked before? And this is a question that we as Christians, that we need to have an answer for. And so today we're going to plow over some ground that we have already plowed, uh, but there will be some new information in here as well. And the reason that I am repeating some of these things over and over and over again is so that we are able to communicate it. You know, there's a big difference between having heard something and being able to tell someone what you have heard. And so uh, I've tried to make this uh, information just available for you so you can give it to people. And let's, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive in. Lord, this is a world of suffering. It's a world of pain. And there are people that they need an answer to this question. So, Father, I pray that we as believers will know how we ought to answer it. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first message on this study I used the passage from, we, we preached from the passage in Ecclesiastes where it says, basically, where is God? Where is God? When there's suffering in the world, where is God? Last Sunday, we looked at the logical question. If God is, is all-powerful and all-loving, how can there be suffering in the world? If he's powerful enough to stop it and loving enough not to want us to suffer, then why is there suffering in the world? And we answered the challenge, well, if that's the case, then there must not be a God. If there is suffering, there must not be a God. We looked at that last week. And so look at your handout here. The question that we're dealing with this morning is, why do bad things happen to good people? So why is that question being asked? Because there are a lot of suffering people. That's why. We saw last week there's an intellectual answer. This requires the truth of Scripture and the use of logic. We do have truth and logic to give that answer, but there's also an emotional answer, and this requires the truth of Scripture and genuine empathy. Genuine empathy. Number three, or number four, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do they? That's the question that we're going to answer today. So, number one, clearly this is a commonly asked question. Why? Why is this question asked so often? Because there's so much suffering in the world. There is so much suffering. And uh, 
I would never diminish the suffering of anyone in this room. That's not the point of this following statement. But I will say this. We as Americans are insulated from certain types of suffering. Is that fair? When, so when I was in Ghana doing, doing ministry, and just the absolute deplorable conditions that the people were living in, we don't have those issues. The life expectancy was so young there, somewhere between 30 and 40 years, I believe, something like that when I was there. We don't have that suffering. Y'all, y'all follow what I'm saying? So we have been insulated from some suffering. And if we're not careful, we can forget about them. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who live in those areas. And there are many societal reason, reasons for that. You know, sometimes we, you know, there's this, there's the privilege concept that is talked about so much. Do you know what we in America have? One of the privileges we have? Dirt privilege. Our soil is better than soil in most of the rest of the world. So you would think that Brazil, with their huge land mass and open spaces, would be able to grow crops like we do. No, their soil's not as good as ours. Isn't that interesting? And so China, with all of their land mass, they don't have the, the soil that we have. They have to import potash in order to be able to farm. And I have just told you everything that I know about farming, everything I have used in those, in those few sentences. But we, we really do have soil privilege. And so when we think about that, there are very few of us that will go hungry today. Now, someone has said that, that Ohio, Indiana, and Illinois can grow enough food to feed the world. We're, can we all just... Acknowledge how blessed we are in that way. You know, think, I, I saw the sign across the street, and I think it said something like, it's November, so for the month of November, um, try, and, try and tell someone that you're thankful. I thought every day. I thought that was, a, that was a kind of a cool idea. We are so blessed. Um, so then why are people asking this question? Because it doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter how much food you have. It doesn't matter what kind of quality of life you have. It doesn't matter how many children you have, how blessed God has, has, how God has blessed you with children. None of that matters when you're suffering. That blessings are not an answer to suffering, to the question of suffering. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So, why? Because there's so much suffering. Two important points. These next two points, very important. Letter B. To a believing heart and mind, The answer that we're going to give today offers hope and understanding, even if the suffering never ends in this life. So, I got an email from our niece, Abby, and I wish that I had thought to reach out to her before I I preached this. And just thinking about her situation, so when she was three years old, she got bit by a tick. And from that, I think it was Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, but she ended up uh, suffering from encephalitis. They were on vacation in St. Louis. If they had been at home in Oklahoma, the doctors in Oklahoma, because of the, the tick population there, they would have known immediately what to do. Her mother had even saved the tick. 
because and had it with her so that it could be analyzed in case there was a reaction. She took her to the doctor. Mom and dad took her to the doctor. Her fever was very high. The doctor didn't believe them about the tick. And so from that point on now, she has what's called dystonia. She was diagnosed with that when she was five years old. So her muscles all tighten up. She can't talk. Got a brilliant mind. Her hands are kind of like this. You can go to her website. It's called silentinspirations.com. Silentinspirations.com. You got to check her out. She, her art is unbelievable. I've got one of her paintings in my office. She's 30 years old now. And she had answered the question in this email that she sent me of a, a young man who was suffering from dystonia. And so she tried to encourage him. So Abby suffers horribly every day of her life. From the time she was three years old, all she has known physically is suffering and pain. Do you know how many surgeries she's had? Many. And I don't know if we could have a better example of a godly young lady than Abby Brown. So this answer, why do bad things happen to good people? Look at, look at this letter B again. To a believing heart and mind, the answer offers hope and understanding, even if the suffering never ends in this life. There's no cure for that. At this point, there's no cure for it. So how, how, can, a, how can a suffering person have joy? The question's a little more real, isn't it? And I was actually a little embarrassed that I hadn't reached out to her and thought to get some input. Why do people ask this question? Because there's so much suffering. And and notice what I say there in letter B. To a believing heart and mind, the answer offers hope and understanding. What do I mean by a believing heart and mind? This is a person who believes the Word of God and who believes in the, the, the fallen nature of man, we're going to talk about that, and in Christ's answer for it through his death, burial, and resurrection, and the hope of a new heaven, new earth, and new body. That's the hope. But understanding that, having the answer from Scripture, and understanding that, listen, folks, it doesn't stop the suffering. So, letter A, to a believing heart and mind, the answer offers hope and understanding, even if the suffering never ends in this life. Letter C, to an unbelieving heart and mind, the answer offers nothing but cold comfort. Remember, we said last week, there are people, and in this this email that Abby sent me, she was interacting with a young man who no longer believed in God because of the suffering he was going through. And like we said last week, that disbelief in God does nothing to alleviate the suffering. So you can have hope in suffering or you can have despair in suffering. I don't want the suffering. But often we don't have a say in that. Number two, what is the origin 
of suffering in the world. So we're going to answer the question, why do bad things happen to good people? What is the origin of suffering in the world? I have the scripture for you here. The scriptural answer is Genesis 2, 15 through 17. So now before we read that, will you all look up here at me for a minute? For a believer or an unbeliever. So whether you're a believer in the Bible or not, whether you're a believer in God or not, you need to hear this. God is true. He never lies. If God says something, if God says, if you do this, then this is what will happen. Then if you do that, that will happen. How many of you have ever seen a parent, if you do that one more time, and then the child does it one more time, and the, the promised punishment does not come, what did you just teach that child? That you're a liar. When God says, if you do this, this will happen, do you know what's going to happen? Whatever it was that God said. So let's look at this. On your handout, Genesis 2, 15 through 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. All right? Thou shalt, what's the next word? Thou shalt what? Surely die. That's what God told them. Why would a loving God have put that tree there? Because obedience that's chosen that's not chosen is not obedience. Love that is not chosen is not love. In order for there to be a moral good, there has to be an option that will bring punishment. And God created man with a with a moral compass, a moral choice. So what did man do? Number two on your handout, Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, so this would be to Eve, Yea, hath God said. So Satan's first words in the Bible are questioning God's word. That's what this is all about. We will get back to it sometime if the Lord doesn't return, explaining how we got our Bible, why it's important. But the reason that we're teaching this is because Satan has doubted it. Satan has brought doubt about it. All right. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now, something we can learn from that. Don't turn your page yet, if you don't mind. Something you can see from that, that verse, Eve added something to the Bible. And this is what man always does. God's word's not enough. We need to add something to it. And so what God had said is you, you're, you can't eat it. She said you can't eat it, neither can you touch it. The Bible didn't say you can't touch it. That's not what the Bible said. That's not what God had said to her. All right, now you can turn your page. All right. And the serpent said unto the woman... Look at this. Ye shall not surely die. You see that? That's verse 4. Ye shall not surely die. No, it's, it's not the truth. And understand, this is the lie of the devil. 
God has given us rules for life. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Why? Because God, the creator of the world, is a moral God, and he built morality into the universe. Romans chapter 2 says that when man, I'm paraphrasing, when man does by nature that which agrees with the law of God, he's not a law unto himself. He does that because God wrote his law on their hearts. So because there are atheists in the world, atheists don't immediately go out and begin doing horrible uh, things to people. Why? Because God has written their law, his law in their hearts, whether they believe in God or not, right? Are you following me on that? And so what God has done is God has given us the truth, and when people violate that truth, it's bad for them. It causes negative consequences in their life. So he said at the end of verse 4, you shall not surely die, verse 5, for God doth know, this is still Satan talking, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So what, what happened when they ate that fruit? Their eyes were opened to evil. They already knew the good. Remember in Genesis chapter 1, he created the sun, moon, and stars, and he saw that it was good. He created the plant life, and he saw that it was good. He created the, the cattle, the fish, and all of those things, and he saw that it was good. The world that he made, he saw it was good. And he created Adam and Eve and put them into that world, and they, they saw that it was good. The only thing that was added to them was the evil. That's what was added. All right? Now, verse 6. And when, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. All right, what question are we answering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, God told Adam and Eve not to eat of that fruit. Don't eat it. The day ye eat thereof, ye shall surely die. Number three on your handout. This is Genesis 3, 16 through 17. God pronouncing judgment because of their disobedience. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow. Oh, wait a minute. Why is there suffering in the world? This is where sorrow starts. Right now. This is where it starts. And when... And unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So she's going to have, she's going to have sorrow in the, the delivery of the children. There's going to be sorrow. And the children are going to enter into a world of sorrow. Why is there suffering in the world? Because of man's disobedience. Because of sin. So, verse 16, again, there on your handout, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be, un shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. So, there's an order in the world now. It's male leadership in the home. Why? This is all part of this judgment. Verse 17, and unto Adam, he said, because thou hast... Hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Remember, 
Eve sinned first. And Adam listened to her and followed her in the sin. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow, there's that word again, shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. So now there are thorns and thistles. The, when, when you plow the ground, it's rocky. And there, there's raising food. Just the work that it's going to take to eat is going to be difficult. I mentioned Ghana earlier. Those people spend from the time they get up in the morning until the time they go to bed just trying to scratch out an existence in this world. Why? Because of the fall. Because of sin. Because God, the, the, the sin not only affected the men, the, the sin affected the ground. The sin affected the earth. The sin affected the animals. The sin affected everything. Why is there suffering in the world? So, number four on your handout. Romans 5.12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, that's Adam, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, the suffering that we exist in the world is simply a precursor of death. The suffering is a precursor of death. That's, that's what it is. Patrick Kennedy and I were talking about working out. And you're a couple of years older than me, right? One year older than me. Okay, 11 months. This is the difference between a true historian and scholar and me. Very precise. So we were talking about working out. We're both trying to work out. When you get to 59 years old, it hurts. Working out is hard. What is that? That's all part of dying. Right? That's, that's part of dying. Suffering, weakness, debilitation, that is part of dying. The Bible says we die day by day. That's where we are. We're dying. That's the result of sin. And what God said, in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. They didn't stop breathing, but their death began. Their death began. And death is a process that we are going through. Suffering, suffering is an outward working of that dying. It's also an outward working of nature. So people, most people in the world who don't have what we have their, their existence is fighting the elements. They're fighting the cold. They're fighting the heat. They're fighting the mosquitoes. They're fighting the malaria. They're fighting the disease. They're, so, so not only is their body dying, but the world we live in is trying to kill us. That's suffering. That's where suffering comes from. Tonight, we're going to look at the text where some of our suffering comes from. I'm not going to get to that right now. So, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So, letter B. There is a cause of all suffering and death. There is, why do bad things happen to good people? There is a cause, and that cause is sin. Letter C. This gives no 
This gives the sufferer no comfort. You're suffering. You've got a disease. You've got an ailment. You've got something that's going on in your life, a, a, a tragic circumstance that you're trying to see your way through. Me telling you it's a result of sin in the world offers no comfort at all. Are you all with me? But it does raise some important questions. Number one, is all sin the same? So suffering is the result of sin. Is all sin the same? No. I give you three passages here. They are all three accounts, uh, uh, three uh, tellings of one account. And it's where Jesus said to the Pharisees, yours is the greater condemnation. Yours is the greater condemnation. Yours is, so these religious leaders that were teaching false truth, their punishment was worse. Their sin was worse than other people's sin. So all sin is not the same according to Jesus. Number two. So is all sin the same? Number one, no. Is all suffering the same? No. So I have had some suffering. Blew out my knee, had knee surgery, had damage from it. That's caused problems in my leg, and now it causes problems in my back. How many of you feel sorry for me? Why? Let's be honest. Okay, I've done this before, but let's be honest. How many of you, your back hurts? Would you raise your hand? Hold them up. Hold them up so everybody can see. Okay, woe is me. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Almost every, you know, you young people, your back might not be hurting yet. Just you wait. So, is my suffering, now some of you have genuine back trouble, where you have surgeries and multiple surgeries and it never really works and you just have suffering all the time through it. Well, that's not the same as my suffering. I just get a muscle spasm. That's it. I know some of you are thinking, cry baby. Yeah, I know. I know. So, is all suffering the same? No, no, no. Certainly not. Number four. I'm sorry, number three. Okay, look at number one again. Is all sin the same? No. Number two, is all suffering the same? No. Number three, is all suffering commensurate with the severity or triviality of the sin? No. So, all suffering is the result of sin. Amen? And yet, is my, when I blew out my leg, my knee skiing, and had to have the surgery and had the nerve damage and all of that, was that the result of sin? Only the sin of bad skiing. Okay, was that the result of sin? Well, sometimes you know that your your suffering is the result of your sin. So let's say that you have this sin of drunkenness and you drive your car into a tree and that paralyzes you. That suffering is a, is a direct result of your sin. How many of you would agree with that? Okay. That, those, that's an easy one. But we all know really wicked people who seem to have very little suffering. And we all know really godly people who seem to have a lot of suffering, like our niece. So, number three, is all suffering commensurate with the severity or triviality of the sin? No. 
Number four. Is all suffering the result of sin entering into the world? Yes. Now, it might seem like I'm being a little pedantic, a little detailed. This is vital. This is vital for us to understand this subject. So, number one, is all sin the same? No. Number two, is all suffering the same? No. Number three, is all suffering commensurate with the severity or triviality of the sin? No. Number four, is all suffering the result of sin entering the world? Yes. Number five. Is all suffering the result of individual sin in the sufferer's life? No. No. And we have this from Jesus Christ himself. So I have printed for you here, John 9, 1 through 3. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, isn't that kind of an insensitive question? So Kent, praise God, has his, his cochlear implants and he can hear now. Praise God. Was his lack of hearing because of his sin? No, Susan's. <laughs> was, was his lack of hearing because of Jeff or because of Sue? No. That's because we live in a, you, we have different ailments because we live in a fallen world. So look at the question, very insensitive question. Verse 2, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Number 3, verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, let me just ask you a logical question. Is Jesus there saying that they have never committed a sin? No. What he's saying is the blindness is not a result of individual personal sin. Did God give him the blindness so that the miracle could be done? No. No. One of the marks of the Messiah was going to be the healing of the blind, giving sight to the blind. So blindness is in the world. His existence in the world gave Jesus an opportunity to demonstrate that he was the Messiah and the works of God could be manifest. It's an amazing thing what God did here. An amazing thing. And so what this is teaching us is that your individual suffering, unless it's a direct result of an action that you took, your suffering is not because of your individual sinfulness. Your suffering is because you live in a fallen world, and it's a, every day we are experiencing that death that entered into the world. So letter B, the blindness, the suffering, was not a result of personal sin in either the parents or... The blind man. So number three. So the premise of the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is a faulty one. The premise of the question. So now, I didn't start there. Here's why I didn't start with number three. The good person who's suffering. And by good person, I, I just mean humanly good. You all know what I'm talking about. The Bible says Barnabas was a good man. Had Barnabas sinned? Yes. Yes. So it's not talking about his innate moral goodness. It's talking about his behavior. He was a good man. We all know good people who suffer. So the question, why do bad things happen to good people? It seems like a, a, a fair question. 
when we understand why sin entered into the world, then we understand that's why uh, uh, suffering happens to people who are not living in a way that would cause suffering. That's why. And yet the premise of the question is very important. The premise of the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is a faulty one. Why? Because letter A, there are no good people. There are no good people. Letter B, our suffering may not be a direct result of our individual sin, but the fact remains that we are all individually sinners. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous. No, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 1 John 1, 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John 1, 10, if we say, I'm sorry, 1 John 1, 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him, God, a liar, and his word is not in us. So, the answer to the question, why do bad things happen to good people, is that there are no good people. There's only one time that a bad thing happened to a good person, and that's when Jesus Christ suffered for us. Very important, letter C. This gives the sufferer no comfort. That's why we don't start there. This gives the sufferer no comfort, but it is true. So how does knowing this answer help us? Well, first of all, number four, what has Jesus done about suffering? This is vital. What has Jesus done about suffering? This is both true and comforting. The fact that sin is in the world and that all suffering is from sin, that doesn't give us comfort. What Jesus has already done, that does give us comfort. Letter A, he entered into our suffering and identified with us in it. He was not only aware of our suffering, he entered into our suffering. So if you're suffering, I can come as your pastor and sit and read scripture with you and talk with you. I I can um, try to empathize with you. But let's say you had your leg amputated. I'm not going to have my leg amputated. Are you with me? I am going to try to comfort you in your suffering, but I am not going to enter into your suffering. Jesus entered into your suffering. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews 2, 14 through 18. We looked at this passage last week. For as, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So Jesus didn't have flesh and bones, flesh and blood, so he took on flesh and blood so that he could die and destroy the devil. Verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, dying, suffering. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. He became a Jew, a man. Verse 17, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, like a Jew, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. So it's interesting, this suffering in verse 17, the middle of the verse, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. So I'm not a high priest. I'm a pastor. And God saw fit for our son Riley when he was four and a half months old to die. What did that do for me? 
Well, in our first year here at Grace Baptist Church, there were two teenagers that died, both in car accidents, two separate events. What did that suffering that Laura and I went through, what did that do? It helped make me a better pastor because I would have, I would have handled those situations probably as badly as any human being could handle them because of my nature, because of my mouth, because of my insensitivity, my lack of emotion. Having to feel that pain helped me to be a better pastor. Now, doctrinally, theologically, I don't know that Jesus can improve. You follow what I'm saying here? But somehow through that process, it allowed him to be a faithful high priest by having actually experienced that suffering and death. That's what the Bible says about Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 18. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. So now, when you pray to Jesus Christ, it's different than praying to a God who's never suffered. You have a Savior that not only suffered, he took your suffering. He experienced your suffering. And not only your suffering, but more than the cumulative suffering of every person that would ever live. That's the suffering that Jesus experienced. So when you go to him, do you know what Jesus can say? I know. I know. When Abby reached out to this young man, she reached out to him because she could understand what he was going through. And they had some interaction, and that helped that young man, and it helped Abby for someone to, to communicate with someone that's experiencing exactly what they are going through. Jesus Christ has that for you. Letter B. He didn't just, it's so important, understand the suffering. So we have doctors here in the room. We have medical people here in the room. And they take courses in biology. And they, they learn about nerve endings and, the, and, and pain receptors. And they learn about all of that stuff. Learning it is not the same thing as feeling it. Right? So Dr. Uh, Ree was an OBGYN, but he never gave birth. Delivered a lot of babies. A lot of babies, right? Very experienced, knows all of the process, answer any of the questions that you have. He never felt it. All right, look at Jesus. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the, what's that word? Feeling of our infirmities. But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I use the example of you might have your leg amputated, but I'm not going to have my leg amputated. You say, Jesus didn't have his leg amputated. Understand, he knows what it felt like. He, was, he felt everything. He, felt, he, he knows what that feels like. He felt everything. Letter C. He not only experienced suffering like us, but he also dealt with the root cause of suffering, sin. So on the cross, Jesus Christ not only understood and accepted the physical torment, the physical suffering, that, that, uh, so that he understands our feeling and, and our suffering. So the physical aspect of it, 
He not only experienced that, but look what it says in verse in, in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. And, and I've truncated this passage to, to make this point. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And so look at what, this is so important. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only experienced the physical torment and suffering, but he also experienced the eternal suffering and penalty of death for sin in his body on the cross. How, how was he able to handle billions of people's eternal torment in that short period of time? Because he's God. Because he's God. Look at number two on your handout. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. For since by man came death, that's Adam, by man came also the resurrection of the dead, that's Jesus. He, he partook of flesh and blood. For as in Adam all die, so even in Christ shall all be made alive. Does that mean everybody's going to get saved? No, but everyone that's saved, it's because of Jesus. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Well, he only suffered once. In that one suffering, he suffered all of the suffering. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. That he might bring us to God. The just for the unjust. Jesus for me. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit of God, made alive. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what did Jesus do? What has he done in the past? He has paid the penalty of sin and he has offered the free gift of life for us. That's what's already been done. But he's not finished. Number five. What will Jesus do about suffering? What will Jesus do about suffering? This is true, comforting, and hopeful. Gives us hope. Letter A, he will remove the penalty, power, and presence of sin, which are suffering and death. This penalty, the power, the suffering, and death. The presence of it. 1 Corinthians 15, same passage, 22 through 26. We saw this verse, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Listen to what he goes on to say. But every man in his own order. Listen, look at, look at, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there suffering in the world? Why doesn't Jesus stop the suffering if he can? He will. But it has to be in the right order. And it's comforting for us to know what that order is. So we can know. So here's what it says. Verse 23. But every man in his own order. Christ the first fruits, so he died and rose. Afterward, they that are Christ's, when? At his coming. That's why the Bible ends with, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because what happens when he comes? Verse 24, then cometh the end. Oh, wait a minute, What's, what happens at the end? That's when suffering happens. Why doesn't Jesus stop suffering? Well, he will, but that's the end of everything. When he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, 
when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power. So when Jesus Christ conquers all the kingdoms of the world, that's when the suffering stops. Verse 25, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Verse 26, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. That's the order. Jesus is going to return. He's going to judge the earth. He's going to defeat the kingdoms. He's going to establish his kingdom and present that kingdom to the Father. And then death will end. Then death will end. Praise God. Letter B. Here, it's not, that's not it. He's not done. Remember we talked about that when sin entered into the world, death started inside of men's bodies and that all of our physical suffering is the result of us dying. It's the outworking of death in our bodies. But not only that, the earth itself was infected with sin and the the world itself is trying to kill us and we're fighting against the very creation of God. That's, That's what we're doing. Look what the Bible says. The letter B. Not only will he remove the penalty, the power, the presence of sin, which are suffering and death, letter B, he will heal the planet so nature, the world itself, no longer causes suffering. Acts 3, 19 through 21 says, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. So Jesus accomplished that already, right? Look at this. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive, so he ascended to heaven, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So the order is that Jesus had to die first and rise from the dead. He paid for our sin. We can receive that and be converted. Then Jesus is going to return. When he returns, he stamps out the evil kingdoms. He ends death. He ends it all. And then he removes the death from the earth. He restores the earth. It's the restitution of all things. Those thorns and thistles, the world fighting against you. That goes away. And he restores it. Here's here's how it works. All the holy prophets prophesied of that, the Bible says. Number two, 2 Chronicles 7.14, talking about Israel, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. This healing of the land comes after it's been destroyed. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, ascended to the Father. He comes back. When he comes back, he takes all of those who have repented and believed. He takes them out of the earth. And then he makes quick business of the earth. Judges the earth. And basically destroys it. Do you know what the turning point for all suffering is? Do you know what the turning point that stops it is? Do you know what it is? When Israel says, We're humbling ourselves. You're our God. We're your people. That's the answer. Then what happens? Psalm 67, 1. God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. See, Jesus removes the sin. He removes the suffering. He removes the death. 
He brings healing to the individual and to the earth. That's what he's going to do. Letter C. He will then change us. And this happens in between these. He will change us so that sin no longer reigns in our mortal bodies. He's going to change us. Romans 5, 19 through 21. I've printed it for you there. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. The Bible says he became, Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So that obedience is what gives us righteousness. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. So what happened? The law shows us how offensive we are. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Look at what it says. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Right now, sin reigns in my body. I'm just a sinner. Paul said, a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 1 John 3.20, I'm sorry, 3.2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. So if any, he came into his own, his own received him not, to as many as received him, to them gave you power to be called the sons of God. It doesn't yet appear. You can't see that I'm a son of God. That's an internal spiritual change that took place. I am a son of God. You just can't see it. Doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, do you see what the turning point is? Israel turning and Jesus Christ returning. Before that, believers seeing Jesus Christ. The, the, the change is the return of Christ, either the rapture or the return to the earth. That's the, that's, the, that's the linchpin. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like him. And what does it take for that to happen? Philippians 3.20. For our conversation is in heaven. Our life is actually in heaven. We're not, trying to, we're not trying to save the earth. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Let me just tell you something. Folks, look at this. Look. That thing hanging on the wall up there, what do we call that? The cross. Have you all ever noticed that we don't have a figure of Jesus hanging on the cross? Have you all ever noticed that? You know why that is? It's done. Remember, God had Moses strike the stone, water came out. Strike the rock, water came out. Second time, he told him to speak to the rock. But in his anger, Moses struck the rock. Because of that, Moses was not able to go into the Holy Land. Why? Because the Bible says this rock is Jesus. It was a picture of the living water that would come from Christ. And folks, Jesus will only suffer. Once. Once. Just once. By breaking that picture, Moses could, the punishment was Moses couldn't go into the promised land. This is so important for us to understand. 
Our body is going to be like Christ's body. Is that what the Bible says? He's going to change my vile body. The amount of power it takes for him to change that. Is God powerful enough to stop suffering? Is he loving enough to do it? Yes, he is. How much power does it take for God to change my vile body into one that's just like Jesus Christ's? Look what the verse says. Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. There's suffering in the world because of sin in me. There's suffering in the world because there's sin in the very planet and in the very heavens. There's suffering in the world because everything is sinful. All that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, is not of God but is of the world. Everything that's in the world. Can God stop it? Yes. The power it's going to take to stop my individual suffering is the power it takes to change my body into a body that's like his. That's the power that it takes to subdue everything that is. See, we don't understand how sinful we are and how sinful the world is. Yeah, Jesus is going to stop it. He already paid for it. He already purchased it. We access that through faith. And then we're going to experience it in physical reality. The reason I brought up the cross and Jesus only suffering once, when I get a body like Jesus Christ's, I'm never going to suffer again. I'm never going to suffer again. Why do bad things happen to good people? They really don't. None of us are good. What did Jesus do about it? He entered into our suffering and experienced it. Then he experienced the penalty of our sin and death. He is going to come back and make everything right. Isn't that wonderful? That really is comforting. There is an end to our suffering. There is an end. There is an end. Have you been born again? Remember I said this is comforting to those who have a believing heart and mind. It's not comforting at all to someone who doesn't have a believing heart and mind. You see, unbelief doesn't alleviate suffering. Belief actually does. Because there's going to come a time when Jesus ends all the suffering. But the problem is, if you don't believe in him, the suffering never ends. The suffering is eternal. The suffering is forever. The suffering is beyond anything that you can ever imagine. Jesus doesn't want that for you. As a matter of fact, he already did it for you. That suffering that you deserve, he's already felt that. There's, it would be like you paying your mortgage twice. Imagine if I came and paid your mortgage and you said, nope, I'm just going to keep paying it. That'd be so dumb. That's exactly what people say. Jesus has already paid your penalty, but I'm going to pay it myself. That's so dumb. Please receive Christ. Please believe in him. Please repent of your sin and acknowledge him as your Lord. And receive that gift of eternal life. Lord God, thank you so much for your word. And Father, I pray. Lord, if there's someone here that's, that's in genuine suffering. Knowing that it's a result of sin is not helpful. Knowing that that the world is cursed and all of that. None of that is very helpful to alleviate the suffering. But knowing that you have paid for it, 
and that it will end. That is comforting.